Our message today is talking about face-to-face -face with God in particular. And I, I've been fascinated with and maybe even a little frightened by all that I'm hearing about facial recognition technology. It, um, it's amazing what they're doing. Uh, some good, you know, it's nice that they're able to be able to um, capture criminals um, by having their face in a database and they're looking at places on street cameras and they're able to track them down. It can be a little unnerving. They, um, in China, are you, China has got the biggest database of facial recognition images. There are 2.5 billion images, whereas in North America, we only have 866 million images in our government database. But that's still a little worrying because there's only 330 million Americans. And they use this technology in China, where a kid checks out a book at the library, they just press a button, takes a look at their face, they've registered what book they've got, and they uh, know their face. They go to the cafeteria to get their food, and they take a picture of their face and it's charged to their account. You can buy your groceries in some parts of China just by them snapping a picture of your face. They deduct it from your account. And of course, you can withdraw money from some of the banks there. And um, it's amazing. Karen and I, when we travel, we check into the country. We are part of something called the global entry because it makes it quicker for us to get in and out of the country. It used to go, and you fill out a card, and you put your fingerprints down, and it took your fingerprints. Last few times I've been through, it says, stand there, look at it. It takes a picture of your face. It says, you're good. <laughs> it, it does tell you, it says, take your glasses and your hat off first. The facial recognition technology in China, they say it's 99% accurate. And if you're wearing a face mask, it's still 90% accurate. It is phenomenal. Now, you know, they're using it. Amazon's got a big database. They'll look at people's faces and they can also tell what mood they're in. The facial recognition technology can describe your age, male or female, gender which is getting harder, I would think. But, um, and they can tell, you know, roughly what your age is and how many wrinkles you have or whatever it is. It's frightening. So, but I'm thinking even as I'm looking out there on you, you know, they say that you've got about 40 different muscles in your face and they, they've got some that are primary and some that are more minor. And you take 40 digits and say, how many combinations can you make with 40 different digits? See, if you got 10 digits in our decimal system, you got, you know, virtually infinite number of possibilities. You know how many different expressions you can make with your face? Maybe they'll get a close-up on me. I know that's frightening to think of. Which camera should I look at? There. That it? Okay. Tell me what I am. Happy. Scared. Mad could be crazy or it could be. So you go. <laughs> and what's this? Poker. <laughs> so there's thousands of different facial exp uh, uh, expressions, right? 
When you talk about being with someone face to face, it's about as intimate as you can be because it really says so much about who you are. Now, as a pastor, I'm looking out here, and we've got visitors today, and I don't even know, unfortunately, every one of our members. But I look out here, and I can tell all these people. I'm just looking out there, and even from a distance with my limited vision, I, I spot you, and I know you. And how do I know you? By your face. And it's, it's incredible. It's really easy for me to spot my wife in a crowd because I'm more familiar with her face, right? When you know somebody. You know, the Bible says that uh, purpose for the plan of salvation is to bring us back into the presence of God. And I think one reason that the whole story of the incarnation is so amazing is because God came into our world he designed us for a face-to-face -face interaction. The Lord used to walk with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he'd walk with them, and he'd talk with them, and commune with them. The ultimate face-to-face -face encounter is when God comes into our world in the incarnation, in the form of a baby, to reveal himself in the face of Jesus. This is what the scriptures teach. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Doug, I've seen artists' representations, but I don't know what the face of Jesus really looks like. Well, you do in that the face of Christ is revealed in what he says. It's in his character. You perhaps remember the story in the Bible where Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God said, well, I'm happy to share that with you, but no man can see my face. Fallen men in our sinful condition cannot see the unveiled glory of the face of God um, and without it destroying us. But God said, but I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by, and I'll reveal my glory to you. And notice we just read it, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He said, I'll reveal my glory to you. He said, I will cover you until I've passed by, and you'll see me just from behind, and you'll see my glory. Because he said, no man can see my face even Moses, who went up the mountain and communed with God, he never really saw the face of God in undiminished glory. Some of you have probably seen where people are being interviewed on television, and they are wanting to do it anonymously. And you're either looking at a dark silhouette in a room with light around it, and there you hear this voice, and sometimes the voice has changed a little bit. Or you see now they get technology, they look like blur the face of the individual. And so I don't know exactly how God did it, but God said to Moses, he said, you can't look directly into my face yet. But there's places in the Bible where it tells us people saw God's face, and we'll get to that in a minute. Why can't we see God face to face now? Sin has separated us from God. Sin is a terrible evil that has come into our world. When Adam and Eve sinned, something changed in our nature, and we've all inherited that handicap. Adam and Eve were motivated by love, naturally. But after sin, the compass needle was broken, and it turned back to self. And now people are preoccupied with self instead of love. 
We have to be taught to love. It doesn't come naturally, and all sin really springs from selfishness. You can read in Genesis 3, verse 8, Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He wanted to see them. Imagine that, a face-to-face -face encounter with God. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So we're talking about being with God, the presence of God, being face-to-face -face with God, knowing God, which is probably about as intimate as it gets, because the Bible says Adam knew his wife and she had a baby. And when you know someone, it's talking about a, an intimate relationship. And then Jesus said that we need to know God. He'll declare to the lost, I don't know you. So when does this face-to-face -face relationship begin with God? When we get to heaven? Or can it start even in this life where we know the Lord? Don't we need to know him now? Amen. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Now, does God want to be separate from us? Why did he send his son into the world? Because he wants to be with us. He made us to commune with him. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So if we're going to see God face to face, and if sin is the problem, then what needs to happen? Either the face of God will destroy us, or he must destroy the sin so we can see his face. And this is the purpose of the gospel. God wants to be with us. You know that verse there in Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And that's quoted again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. In the gospel of Matthew, both the beginning and the end of the gospel talks about God wanting to be with us. First question in the Bible is God says, where are you? The first question in the New Testament is man saying, where is he? In the Gospel of Luke, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Here you've got God looking for man and man looking for God because we've been separated. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they'll call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. You go to the last chapter in Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20. He says, I am with you always. So can God's presence be with us even before the second coming? Yeah, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You can read in Luke 1. And having come in, the angel said, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. It's so much easier going through life if you know God is with you. And then John, the apostle, in his gospel, right there at the beginning, John, I'm sorry, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. You can tell he's still awed by the idea that they were in the presence of God. Concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and we declare that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, revealed to us, that which we have seen and we have heard, we declare to you that we may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And these things I write to you that your joy might be full, that we might have fellowship. Now, what does fellowship mean? If I say to you, hey, next week, let's have some fellowship. And then I text you a message and I say, okay, we fellowship now. You know, I don't know what you think, but is it just me? See, I remember living when a telephone was like the rotary dial. And then it went, it went to push-button phones. We thought, wow, we are living in the future. <laughs> and then I remember my father got the first cell phone, and it was as big as a cinder block. It was this big Motorola thing that he'd hold up. I thought, wow, a phone with no wires. That was so cool. They had a company called Cellular One. Of course, they're out of business now. We have a whole generation of kids that have grown up not knowing what life was like without smartphones. And I see couples go out to dinner together, and they sit there across the table, and they're both on their phones. So they could have fellowship <laughs> with each other. I'm embarrassed. I will admit, I have texted my wife while I'm in the same house. How many will admit that you have texted someone else and they say, look at that, see, I'm not alone. That's why I'm not really embarrassed. <laughs> and you see these kids, I just read an article this week that young people, because of social media, are losing the art of conversation. A guy wants to take a girl out on a date, so he texts her. The idea of looking her in the eye and asking her is just unthinkable. And so it's like we're losing this ability to conversate, is that a word? With each other because of the phones. But God wants to have fellowship with us. Now, I remember, um, you know, one of the most popular social media sites is called Facebook. And I guess it took off because everybody thought, well, I, I, I know that person, but I want to know their, their face. If I can look at their face, how many of you, you know, you hear a name and you forget, but you see, if I can get the name and the face together. And so Facebook just took off. And it went through a few different morphs. Right now, there are 2.9 billion people that use Facebook once a month. More than that have an account. They just don't use it very often. There's only 8 billion people in the world. 2.9 billion people have Facebook accounts. And I remember when you, you start an account, you want to know, will anyone friend me? Uh, will they be my friend? I've got good news, friends. God has friended you. <laughs> he wants a relationship with you. You know, when I, I first learned about Facebook, people in our office said, Doug, it's a great way to communicate, and ministries are using it. You need to open a Facebook account. And so first, we kind of opened our own Doug Bachelor account, and uh, I think some of my family said, we need to, they said, Dad, you're not on Facebook? I said, no. And so got on Facebook, and we gave the address to the family, and then different people found out. I thought, wow, this is people. I had no idea. And they were texting me. I have a friend that if you ever read my testimony book, I ran away with him when I was 13, David McLean. We got arrested together, and I lost track of him. He was like my best friend. lost track of him for 30 years because, you know, I was, you read my story, in a cave, he can't reach me there. So I lost track of him anyway. 
I'll reach out, find, I find him on Facebook. And since then, we've reconnected and we, we get together. He became a, a colonel in the army. Who would have thunk? And he said, Doug, you became a preacher? <laughs> Weren't you a Jew? <laughs> and so it's kind of fun when you connect with some of your old friends on Facebook, people I hadn't uh, met in years. But um, then it got where all these people were wanting to friend me. And I said, well, this was sort of for the family. And, and uh, I said, I'll, I'll open another account for the ministry. I got 650,000 friends. But are they really friends? You know, do I really know them? I have fun telling people I met all of this personally twice. I was with my mother. She knew him. I didn't know him. He certainly didn't know me. Yes, we were in the same room. But we don't know each other. And that's the way a lot of relationships are online. It's superficial. A lot of people say, I know about God. I even pray to God. But do you really know God? Do you talk to him on a regular basis? Do you have a, a personal relationship with him? This is what he wants with us. Exodus 33. This is the chapter where... It says, the Lord spoke, verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, we learned a little later in the same chapter, he says, well, you can't look directly into my face. And some people wonder, well, maybe it was the Almighty Father, because the Bible says no man has seen the Father, and, uh, but we could look into the face of the Son. But the point I'm making is it says he speaks to him as he spoke to a friend. James 2, verse 23, it's also in the Old Testament. And he, Abraham, was called the friend of God. Think about it, that God wants to be our friend. God has friended us. John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking here. John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That's interesting. Are you his friend? No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. He says, I'm telling you everything. Isn't that what you do with a friend? You're intimate. You don't hide anything from them. You know them. It's like when Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. He didn't just have a, an interview. He says, I must abide at your house. What does that say? When you go and you eat at someone's home and you sit across the table from them. I remember when we first got called to um, Amazing Facts. Uh, Karen and I, the first invitation, we said, thank you so much. We're honored. But we said, no. And the acting president then, Bill May, he's the one who wrote the study guides, he said, uh, I need to talk to Doug. And he was back in Maryland. And they said, well, give him another call. He says, I need to. He said, no, no, no. He says, I'm not going to call. He said, this kind of visit, you have to sit knee to knee. And that poor guy, he got on an airplane and flew all the way across to sit in the house and look us in the face. He said, this kind of conversation is not over the phone. He was from the old school 
where you realize it might require a whole day. Today, I think they'd just text you or they'd Zoom you. But he said, no, I've got to sit there knee to knee is the word he used and talk to you. And he talked to us again and we said yes. And there was something different when someone looks you in the face and they ask you a question than when you, it's easier to text them and say, sorry, I can't help you today. What did God do? What did he do? He sent his son so that he could have a face-to-face -face encounter with this world and these creatures that he loves. In 3 John, chapter 13, verse 14, he said, there's many things that I have to say to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. <laughs> John said, so I decided to text you. No, that's not what he says. I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you shortly and we can speak face to face. Now what John says here in this verse, I want to give it to you again, 3 John 13, there's only one chapter, 3 John 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you, but I'm writing to you to let you know that I really want to come and see you face to face. This is what Jesus is saying. So I've written the Bible, but what I really want is to see you face to face. The purpose of the plan of salvation, he wants to dwell with us. God is going to move the capital of the universe to our planet. And he wants to dwell with us. We are made in his image. He loves us so much he died to redeem us. We can't comprehend the love that God has for us. And he wants that face to face relationship. Now how is God with us? He wants to be in us and face to face with us through the Spirit. He wants to be within us. So even now through the Spirit, we can have that personal relationship, that presence. You look in John 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God wants to live in us. Think about that. I mean, how can we even comprehend that? God inside somebody. That seems like a miracle. But what happened in the incarnation? The Holy Spirit came over Mary, and a miracle take place. It was called a miraculous birth. And what is, what is conversion called? A new birth. It's a miracle that cannot be explained how your heart can be changed and he is born again in you. And instead of being controlled by pride and selfishness, we're controlled by love. That's a miracle. And he wants to have that experience in us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It is a Holy Spirit birth. And that's what he wants for us. How many of you know that song, Little Town of Bethlehem, where it says, be born in us today? And the hymn writer understood that. Genesis 28, verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you. And Jacob wrestled with the Lord, and when he got done, he says, I have seen God face to face, and I am alive. I am preserved. If you want to see him face to face, we need to wrestle with him in prayer that we might have that new birth experience. 
He wants to be in us. John 14, 20. And it says, that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, I want to illustrate something. I need a volunteer. Just help me real quick. No, I need someone who can jump up here real quick. I'm looking for a young person, but they're all in the balcony or something. Oh, no, 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 Nathan. <laughs> all right, come on up. Just... There we go. All right. I know who your mother and father is. Don't be a spectacle, okay? <laughs> okay, this is, how many of you know what this is? What is it called? Matushka. Matushka doll. And these are kind of, and this is not the whole thing. That would have been too big, right? So here you've got that one. And you've got this one here. Want to help me hold that? And you got, you can hold that. And you got, that keeps going. I'm not going to keep going. I just want to do this for right now. Let me see. That's, I think, all we need for right now. Okay. All right. So this is God. I know it's an imperfect illustration, but work with me. Okay. So this is God. This is Jesus. This is you. Okay, hold these for a second. Let me read this verse again. That I am in my Father, and you in me, and I am in you. So, this is you. So you are in me. And then he says, and I am in the Father. So where are you when you are in Christ? You're in God. So this is a wonderful thought. You know that. You can take that home with us. <laughs> Sometimes I think we forget what it means that through Christ, we are in Christ. It says this over and over, and Christ is in the Father. That means we are in God. He wants this personal relationship. Now, sometimes the presence of God can be convicting. You read in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees God on his throne, he says, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. He saw God in his glory. He saw the face of God on his throne. And he thought he was going to perish. Peter saw the miraculous power of Christ when he multiplied the fish. And what was his response? He fell down before Jesus and he said, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man being there in the presence of God. Revelation chapter 1, when John the Apostle sees Jesus in his glory, and it says he describes his face. It says his face was like the sun, his countenance, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. It's a, a fearful thing to be in the presence of a holy God. The wicked, if God does not wash us from our sins, they will flee from his presence. Revelation 6, 16. The wicked said to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from what? The face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the lamb. Now, have any of you had nightmares about being attacked by a lamb? Usually we don't think about a lamb's wrath. 
because it's so uncharacteristic. God is a God of love. But for those who they don't take advantage of the plan of salvation, they spurn the sacrifice of Jesus. When he comes after he's died to save and cleanse them, they will flee from the face of God. Read in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it from whom whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. The whole earth and heaven fled from before the face of God and no place was found for them. I don't even know completely what that means. But all I, I can tell you one thing I know is it's telling us that the face of God is an awesome thing. Can you imagine any face that would be more awesome? You know, the Bible people say, well, does God, it says he's a spirit. Does God have a form? Yes, because we are made in the image of God. If you want to know something about him, it just describes him here in Revelation. The Bible talks about the eyes of God, talks about the ears of God, talks about the mouth of God, talks about the hair of God, talks about the nose of God. God talks about smelling. Did you know that? He describes a face. God has a face. And he wants us to see that face in peace. Now, you and I have many different expressions, but you've all got one face, right? You don't like it if someone calls you two-faced. I remember hearing about a, a debate between Douglas and Lincoln. They were famous debates. And Douglas had accused Lincoln of being two-faced. And Lincoln had a great sense of humor. And, you know, he was a little homely-looking. And he stood up and he said, why would you call me Two-Face? If I had two faces, do you think I'd be wearing this one? <laughs> Some of you remember reading about um, Helen of Troy in Greek mythology. And they think it's based on a true story that there was this beautiful queen and Paris had kidnapped her and the, taken her to Troy and the um, Greeks wanted to rescue her. And so they say her, she was so beautiful that the idea of rescuing their kidnapped queen, because of her beauty, her face launched a thousand ships. You know, God is with those who share him. And the face of Jesus has launched a thousand missionaries, a million missionaries. Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. I am with you always to the end of the age, knowing that he is with us. As David Livingston went all over Africa, he said, it is enough for me to know that he is with me and he will never leave me. He had so many close calls with death, but he said, these are the words of a gentleman. Matthew 18, 20. He says, where two or three are gathered, I am there. The presence of God is with them. When the disciples walking down the road of Emmaus were talking about Jesus, he drew near and walked with them. When they talked about Christ, he was present. Now, there's a verse. You might write this down. Look it up. Uh, some of them I read through quickly. This is one you may want to look up. Malachi 3.16. Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, a special book written before God, for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. They were talking about God. 
They spoke to one another about God, and he wrote a book about those who talked about him. On that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. How will he spare those who share about God as he would spare his own son? How does God look upon those who love Jesus with the righteousness of his own son? He'll spare us. Something else I've noticed is that when you have someone with you that's powerful, it makes it possible to endure almost anything. Alexander the Great, his soldiers would follow him anywhere because he would lead them into battle. He was so courageous, they were inspired. Same thing with King David until David was about 50. Finally, they told him, you better not go into the heat of battle because he was starting to get weak. But his presence inspired them so they were not afraid. Isaiah 41, verse 10 God says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. And in Psalm 23, what does it say? When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? Because you're with me. Do you know that you and God are always a majority? Amen. And, and if God is with you, you have nothing to be afraid of. I remember reading when uh, John Wesley was on his deathbed. He was like 85 years old or something, and, and uh, he had his family gathered around. He smiled and took their hands and said, the best thing of all is God is with us. He says, just to know that God is with you. You don't have to be afraid of anything. In the book of Judges, Barak told Deborah, I will go into battle. You are the prophetess of God if you go with me. That would give them courage. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, mighty man. Over and over, God told Joshua, he told Moses, he told Jacob, he says, I will be with you. And as long as they knew God was with them, they could endure almost anything. Jesus told Paul, I want you to go into the city, and there was a lot of persecution. He said, I am with you. I'm not saying you won't be persecuted, but he said, I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. 2 Timothy 4.17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. This is talking about when he was tried by Nero. He says, God was with me there. Didn't Jesus say, you'll stand before rulers? You'll be tried for your faith? I'll tell you what to say. I will be with you. In the last days, we're going to, I think, have some trials just like that. In Deuteronomy, Moses said to the nation, what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we might call upon him? Now, I don't know how you feel, but I am quite comfortable telling you that I believe God has been with the Granite Bay Church. I think Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits and the fruit of what God has done here is so clear to me that he is blessing and he is with us. What a wonderful thing to contemplate. The presence and the approval of God. That doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement. That's the biggest room in the world. But that he's with us. Did the disciples have everything right? No. Was he with them? Yes. And God is with us and he will lead and guide us. We don't need to be afraid. Job said in Job 19.25, For I know my Redeemer lives and that he will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, I know this, that in my flesh I will see God. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. What's the rest of that? For they will see God. The idea that we might see God, be able to look into his face. Psalm 28, 27, verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, Lord, your face I will seek. Has God asked us to seek his face? He wants to have that personal relationship with us. He doesn't say, text me. He wants us to seek his presence, to have this intimate relationship with him. And as in life you continue to draw near God and seek his face, the Bible says that light gets brighter and brighter. 2 Peter 1.19. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to take heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the morning star arises in your hearts. Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the just is like a shining sun that shines ever brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. I remember reading... Uh, years ago, it was actually in a devotional about this woman. I, I looked it up just to confirm that it was true. It was in the New York Times. Yvonne Zlatisvik. She was a South African lady. She was in 1972 on an outing between South Africa and Madagascar way out in the ocean. And the boat she was on, for some reason, it, it exploded and it capsized and the boat sank. And she was with a couple of other families that were there, and they were huddled together. They had, I guess, a couple of life preservers, but she did not. And she said, I will swim for help. She's miles from the ocean. So she took off swimming, and as she's swimming, now these are shark-infested waters in South Africa. They actually take you on shark dives in this country, in, in this territory. And um, she was praying, and she kept repeating the prayer, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Amen. And then she looked around and she saw dark shadows and then she saw dorsal fins. And you might think, well, maybe they were dolphins. But you know, a shark swims in a very different way from a dolphin. A shark's tail goes like this. A dolphin is a fluke and it goes like this. And she saw that she was being followed by half a dozen sharks. And she started to pray and said, Lord, let it be quick. Don't let it be an arm and then a leg. And she was getting ready to faint, and the next thing she knew is a dolphin came by and held her up, and two dolphins came and drove away the sharks. See, her feet had been bleeding, which drew the sharks in, because she had hurt her feet when the boat uh, capsized. And the two dolphins came, and they saved her until she got to a buoy, she climbed up on the buoy, and when a rescue boat came by, they saw the dolphins in the water. And that's when she told the story, and they confirmed that. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Now, here we are on the cusp of a new year. And friends, I tell you what, I think we are living in exciting times. You need to put on your seatbelt, because the world is changing. And I can just see the final events unfolding. And that means we've got a great work to do. Amen? And sharing the good news. And I'm so thankful that God loves us. And he came into the world. And he wants to be with us. He wants to be in us. And we want to see him face to face. One of the last promises in the last chapter of the Bible. And there'll be no more curse. Revelation 22.3. 
but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face. Can you think of any greater joy? That you could gaze into the face of God. Angels veil their faces in his presence, that you and I could look into the face of God. I'm so thankful for what Jesus did to make that possible. Sin separates from God. Christ came to save us from our sins. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but you need to ask him in. He will do that miracle. In the same way a miracle took place, a miraculous birth in Mary, you can experience a miraculous birth in your heart and your mind when you invite the Lord in and ask him to forgive your sins and to give you a new heart. That's what the new covenant's all about. Amen? Amen. And he wants you to have that experience. <laughs>